Hi, welcome to FETV. I'm here with Paul Byrne. Paul, how are you? Not too bad. How are you, Dan? You're not too bad. I know, just trying to get through this uh, COVID-19 like everyone else. Um, look, I suppose what what we normally do is we ask footballers who come on to like you know give advice. And I've seen there now you're kind of giving a couple of bits of advice on Facebook and you're out for a run and obviously your experience of, of football. So that's kind of what we're going to go through. Um, like what I ask every footballer is where their football journey began. So if you can t- take us yeah. through it. Like, where did it start off? How did you love football? Where did you end up? Where did you go? Well, basically, it all started on the streets for me. Um, you know, street football, basically teaching yourself, a game of poles, game of gates with some friends and that. Um, they were the days when you had no bibs. You didn't know who you were passing to. You had to get your head up and find out who your friend was and pass it. It was all educational stuff. Hitting the ball outside of the right boot off the pack, off the wall. You know, you couldn't shoot from long range because you had to get close to hit the pole. and. I think I suppose I took it all from took a bit all from that into my schoolboy days, and obviously became a little bit, as they say, special before you go across the water. You're one of these people that are picked to go across the water, and um, basically I was, you know, that's where I was self-taught on the streets, basically. But unfortunately, we don't have that on the streets anymore, you know. And um, uh, yeah, now I, I blue bell. Yeah, I I would have been the same. Uh, definitely, it was all street football. You know, we were playing in parks and stuff like that, playing at home, playing out in the grass after. To school, you know, throw the bag down, football, get out, get out, get out, and yeah. probably yeah, it's 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 different, definitely. No, all right, like no, you didn't go home. You didn't go home. The last was the fella that went home, took his ball home with him, and that was the only break that you got. And then he came back out and you start playing again. But we sort of played on the road where the ground was going to be very hard, and you weren't going to fall on the ground as quick because you're going to hurt yourself and you had to stay on your feet. And you watch the modern game today, and they're, they're jumping all over the place and falling on the on the lovely soft grass that they play on, but. <laughs> No, it's the street. The street was very educational for me, and I took it into my schoolboy days at the likes of Blue Bear, where I played against the likes of Rockmount down in Cork and Roy Keane and uh, Brian and Lenny, uh, Brian O'Sullivan and uh, Alan O'Sullivan and Len Downey and Roy Keane and all those boys that we had to play against at schoolboy level. But we could only play against them once we get to a certain stage of a, of a cup and stuff, and it was great to travel and. You know, I remember the days me dad meeting Roy Keane's dad Mossy and having good sessions before the game and after the games and. I, don't, I think that's all gone out of the game now. I think, you know, too many people take schoolboy football too seriously. Um, especially the coaches, they're watching, you know, the match of the days and they're watching the premiership and, you know, they get this little, uh, you know, kickstart one and kickstart two and the, off the FAI. They go and you think they're, they're world-beating coaches. But the game is fairly simple. If you keep it simple, you know, and uh, unfortunately in today's society with the young kids that, if the parents trying to tell him how to play the game, he's school teacher telling him how to play the game, and he got his football coach, or his football team him to play the game, and the kids get a little bit confused, and sometimes they get a little bit frustrated and don't fulfil that full potential. Yeah, definitely, definitely, it's definitely changing. All right, like you, as you said, football coaches, and you know, you're, there's probably expectations, but that comes from a society thing as well. Like you know, you have to win to be successful, and. I suppose going back to when we started playing football, it was kind of, you know, it was a, it was a working man's kind of game. You know, it was like it, it was it was working class. Clubs were set up especially for that. You know, fellas work nine to five shift work or whatever, or not shift work like, but nine to five shifts, and then Saturday a game of ball, and they expected people to go out. Like players weren't getting over massive wages and stuff like that. And so, look, there's a bit of adaption to it anyway, but. 
yeah, as you said, like there, there, there needs to be a bit, a bit more like structure set out to it anyway, definitely. So school, school yeah, boys, 100%. like you, 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 did you enjoy your school boy football? Listen, I think every schoolboy should enjoy the level of schoolboy football he's going to play at because when you get to a certain level, you're told how to play the game, basically. <laughs> you know, you're told to play 4-4-2. You're told to play there and do this and get up and down the pitch. and You're told exactly what to do, boy. So you become sort of a little bit robotic um, instead of being a free spirit. Like Robbie Keane made his name in the game in Ireland because he became, he came into an established Ireland team with the Whelans and, and people like that. and He came in fearless from the streets. Because that's where he did learn his trade before he went to Wolves and stuff. Damien Duff was the same. He went in there and your free spirits, they went and played the game how they wanted to play the game. They were quick, they passed, they moved, they done certain things that the older guys sort of were a little bit taken back from, but they gelled together and, and, and done really well for Ireland. But going back to my schoolboy days, would have been that club called Bluebell on the nice road there, beside the Red Cow. We're still very strong Leinster senior team now. Um, no I only had a couple of yeah, yeah, I only had a couple of years at, at Bluebell at schoolboy level and uh, I signed for Oxford. You can't do it nowadays, but um, I signed for Oxford when I was 13 and I moved to England just on my 14th birthday. And uh, I became an apprentice over there till I was 16 and broke into the first team at 17. How did that uh, come about, months. Paul? How, how did you end up signing well, for Oxford? Was, it, was there a scout over here or what? Or who's the manager? Well, it's funny how it works out because the scout that found me was on a, on a Honda 50, a fellow Forest. So that's me and Roy. I met Roy a few months ago there, and uh, we had a good chat about it and a good laugh. And um, you know, no, sorry, you, cut, you cut out. You cut out there, Paul. I fell on a Honda Fifty, and and then it cut out. What was that? What was the rest yeah, of it? Fella, the fella on the Honda Fifty was a fella called Noel McCabe. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And he's the one that found Roy Keane. So me and Roy were laughing at it, like you know, the two of us were picked up on a Honda Fifty. <laughs> um, we both play for the Ireland we both play for the Ireland under 15, 16, 17s, 18 youths, 21s together and then I broke into the I was brought into the squads with Jack Charles and the stuff and you know we, we put stories about Len Downey forgetting Len was poor Lenny Downey he's from Cork he, he got into the 21 squad quite a lot and then he was picked in the team and I think we were away in Malta and he left his jersey back in the hotel and he couldn't play and we just Jesus. little reminiscing of little things that we went through over the years and it was great. But uh, yeah, I started my schoolboy days at a club called Bluebell and signed for Oxford at uh, 13 and broke into the first team over there at 16. Played there till I was 19 and then I'd have fallen out with a manager called Brian Orton, Nobby Orton. Uh, he was manager of Man City. He went on to manage Man City and he was at Hull and a couple of other teams like that. But um, he wouldn't be the first manager I fell out with anyway. But, uh, so I broke into the first team and I had a fight with him and I left left there and I came home for a, a couple of weeks actually and then I signed for Arsenal under George Graham and you know we, we Rocky Rowcastle was there at the time and Davis and you know Paul Mason Ray Parlett David Hilliard really great side and I played a lot of reserve games I didn't break into the first team and then uh, I decided then you know I could have went to Northampton after that with Theo Foley and I didn't I, I decided to come home and I signed for a team up in Bangor in the north of Ireland and you know, you're putting on that little bit of weight and you come home. All sorts of things started to develop and you're back in your home soil because it's what we know, it's our culture. And um, But I ended up playing for Bangor up in the north of Ireland and I won uh, the Players Player of the Year, uh, senior and junior, and I won the Reuters junior and senior. And then Georgie Best gave me my trophy. Oh. Trophies at the... Yeah, I uh, scored the winning goal in the Barcelona's Cup final. 
um, to get Bangor into Europe and the cup final for the fourth time in history. And then to top it all off, I signed a three-year contract at Glasgow Celtic. Yeah, like that's, I suppose, that would have been a kind of Dublin boy's dream, I suppose, growing up with it, to play for Celtic. I think it's an All-Ireland thing. I think every player in the country would... Yeah. Look to put a jersey on and go to go to Parkhead and and, uh, and and do the sort of job that I was doing for Celtic. You know, me being an underdog, didn't pay a lot of money, um, but I always felt I had the ability to fit in at some stage if I got myself fit. And I got myself fit and I broke into the fourth team and um, scored a couple of goals. You know, against St Johnson Hearts and then obviously the famous ones with the two goals against Rangers and. I think once you scored against Rangers and you signed for Glasgow Celtic Football Club, I think you're remembered all over the world for the rest of your life. And you get a point in most places all over the world anyway for it. I'm on the sixth. Yeah, a few points, and people wonder why I'm putting on weight, getting all that free drink all around the world. <laughs> but but um, it's it, it's good to be remembered. And I'm only back from Philadelphia with the Celtic Legends, and I'm just only literally just back from Thailand uh, with the Celtic Legends. I'm back on the circuit with the lads now, and. We play games, we do Q&As, and we've got New York coming up, South Africa, Australia. And uh, the club are very, very supportive. And uh, I kept you know, good friends with the likes of Pierre Van Hoydonk, Bobby Petta, Simon Donnelly, Jackie Mack, John Hartson, Alan Thompson. All good friends of mine. And I mean, we're doing gigs, we all, we all chip in together and look after each other. Yeah, that's brilliant. It's brilliant to see that. Even the you know the the local Irish legends here, you know, um, meeting up with people and, and and playing when you're out when you're out the game, so important, isn't it? Like especially, you know, you're not going to be able to play at the pace yeah. that you were able to play, but still you're playing a decent game of ball, and that's that's I think we we all miss that at some stage, you know. Yeah, you miss what you do is you miss the changing room, don't you? You miss the you miss the banter, you miss the buzz where. We all come back to revert, and no matter whether you're 26, 27, 37, whatever it is, once you go back into that changing room, you're a big kid again, and you're laughing and joking and slagging, and you know it's just that part of the game that that you'd really miss. But fortunate enough, I I missed it for for five or six years, and I was at a gig uh, for uh, John Hartson about a year and a half ago. And to be fair, John took me back under his wing. He said, "Look, Bones, you know you, you've done, you've done a few things, whatever, but you know all the lads love you to bits and." We'd like you to come on board and help them up now. You know, I can help a lot of various charities. I'm doing a game up here in Dublin. It was meant to be on the 19th of April, but with this virus that's going on, it's, it's cancelled. It's for the homeless. Um, I'm looking to bring one to Cork with the lads. I'm looking to bring one to Galway. Um, Greg O'Hanlon is looking to bring, bring a team down from, from, from Celtic down to Cork for the homeless. And, and uh, Peter Carpenter is looking to do one in Galway. So... You know, it's it's a great opportunity for me to bring uh, players like this to Ireland. To, to you know, people who love Celtic and love watching these players when they're doing the eight and then yeah, people to see these people, but also an opportunity to raise money for what's badly needed in this country. No, definitely, definitely, hundred percent. And just going back to Celtic, your days at Celtic, I suppose. Um, you know, like. Where 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 did it go? Like when you when you when you first walked in the door, I suppose from the training regime, was there a difference to your other clubs you had been at? Yeah, you know, I I you know I I went from from Oxford to you know the time Steve Foster was there and Davy Langham was there, Billy Hamilton, um, John Wreck. You would have had oh, the team that I come through, you know, John Dreyer. 
it was like you know were you with John Dreyer were you John Dreyer, Tumble Dreyer, yeah, I'm playing with yeah, Tumble yeah, yeah. Oxford, uh, John, yeah. John, John was my assistant at Stevenage. Really, really yeah. nice, really nice guy. Yeah, I played with Tumble Dreyer, yeah, at, at Oxford and um, when I was younger and stuff like that. But you know, even on the way to the match, they're taking orders off you for fish and chips, pie and chips. The first local chippy on the corner beside the ground, and they're taking orders for that on the way back and. You know, never heard of in today's game, you know, it never would be, you know, and basically that was the climate that we were in, the times that we were in, and, you know, you finish your game and the points, fish and chips, and headed home, and um, then times changed, I went to Glasgow Celtic Football Club, you know, one of the biggest clubs in the world, you know, won a lot of trophies, um, magnificent club, Liam Brady was the manager, he, he, he played in Italy, he, he, he took the professionalism from Italy to, to Parkhead, and the dress, even down to the dress sense, down to the training on the on the training ground, and sometimes. And just a little bit about day. that that training, like what what was the training? You know, like I know I know saying like take it from Italy. What did he take from Italy? Like what were some examples? Well, basically, the style of warm up and stuff like that. You know, um, you went you went doing twelve and fifteen and twenty minute runs around the park before you even done a stretch and stuff like that. And, he brought in a lot of smaller, small-sided games where 2v2, 3v3s in small games, switching teams around and pass moving the ball quickly and, and sharp and that type of stuff and keep ball, keep ball sessions and went to play through the turns, went to keep it at the back, went to push it into midfield, went for the centre-half to step into midfield to make it overload of midfield and push one on then to make it three up front and, and, and press. And there was loads of different things that I'd never experienced in my life till I come across the likes of this. And, I think that's what made me the better player because it was something that was, that really caught my eye and interested me. Um, the looks of Oxford and, and stuff like that was just, you know, you get down on the training ground, you're going to run around the pitch, you're doing your stretch, you gave out bibs, you probably had a practice match, you probably had a you know, seven-a-side, shoot on site, small-sided games, stuff like that. But um, it really went a lot, lot more technical than how we were going to play and especially there was a lot of work done against the opposition and what your job was and Nine times out of ten, I was marking Brian Loudrup in, in, in all firm derby. So, what Liam said to me went out the window because I could never catch fucking him. <laughs> <laughs> and then after Celtic, so, what happened? Yeah, look, you know, that's. Yeah, well, look, I went after Celtic, what happened was I went down to, I went on loan actually to Brighton with Liam Brady. Liam went to Brighton and I went on loan to Brighton. I scored something like three goals in eight matches or something. That scored on my debut and it was really good. And then Tommy Burns caught me back to Celtic. And the week that he caught me back to Celtic, it was the it was the New Year's New Year's Day game uh, against Rangers, and that was the one I scored the volley at the back post. So um, yeah, I was I was I was sort of riding high, you know, at the time. But I I always I always say this when I'm on tour with the lads in the Q and I never felt I was Celtic class. Not in a million years did I ever feel that I was going to break into Celtic's first team and achieve what I did achieve. Well, I achieved that I played for one of the best clubs in the world. Um, I was beaten, in, I was beaten in, the, in the League Cup final. I won a Scottish Cup medal with them. That, that really set the platform. I was there through the real bad times when Celtic were stopping Rangers doing nine in a row. And it was, it was dreadful times to be part of, to be honest. And um, I came through that and then, you know, Runners up, runners up in the in the in the league cup, and then Tommy Bones actually to win the Scottish Cup that year. We we're moving back to Parkhead the year after, and um, you know, from poor times to good times, and Tommy knew 
he needed to strengthen the squad. And I felt at that particular time, two and a half years at the club, I felt, look, I don't really... I didn't feel I was good enough in the first place. I certainly don't feel good enough now with, you know, the likes of Pierre Van Hoydan, Jordi Cadetti, Paulo the Canyon, all these boys coming through the door. So um, I held my hand up and I, I bowed down and I said, I've done enough. I've done the, the best I could for this club. I'd like to say thank you to everybody. And um, I signed for South End, which another Irish manager came in, which was Ronnie Whelan. Oh, yeah. um, I've done really well down. I've done really well down in, in the fourth season. Um, third season we didn't have the second season we didn't have such a good season. Third season I, br- I broke my ankle and um, I felt I didn't really recover to the player that I was coming from Celtic. I was always deteriorating, you know, from the time I left Celtic to being on a high at South End to two years later breaking my ankle and, and not being the player that I was and. I felt I'd been away since I was 13. I was approaching 28 or 29 at the time, I felt. You know, it was time to come home and, and, and play League of Ireland, which League of Ireland was at a very, very high standard at, at that particular time. Yeah. Half and all those boys playing the Paul Doolan and, you know, we uh, Roddy Collins come calling and basically I signed for Roddy and we won the double um, that year. So, yeah, it was good. Um, League of Ireland was competitive. I played another couple of seasons after that. Went down the leagues, Kilkenny and stuff like that because... It's not that I wanted to drop down the leagues, it's just that the, still the love of the game was still in me, in me, in me heart and in my head. And basically, I, I wanted to play for as long as I could, and I ended up coming back down and playing for Bluebell. How did you find that? Where it all started. How did you find, yeah, stepping out of professional football into like Leinster Senior League? It's probably a decent standard as well, actually, when you were leaving. Look, you know, Ireland, it was I was putting on a bit of weight, weight at League of Ireland and stuff like that and I felt he could still play um, a top lens as senior for a couple of seasons and that's what I did and after that I just had I really thought you know I'm going to you know a, a decent job coming at the time and I felt if I get injured here I'm, you know I'm really going to F myself up and I come out unscathed with really bad bad injuries if you know what I mean yeah. um, I still had me health I could still run I could still do certain things Um and I felt enough was enough, and, and, and that was it. I went off to America, and I coached in America for a couple of years, and I done my rounds, a few a few bits and pieces here and there, but not a lot of people would let you do the coaching that you wanted to do because they were all into this. The FEI had people over a barrel, you know, if you let other people, outsiders come in and, and do their thing, and we cut your funding and, and, and stupid little things like this. So other people didn't get that opportunity to show kids how I learned the game and basically bring street football to grassroots. Yeah, it's look. It's going to. It's definitely a tough thing to do, isn't it? As a coach, you know, because there's so much structure around it, and as well, I think just like I didn't even train as a kid. Really, you were probably the same. You might have a training session every now and again, but it was all matches. You know, I can't wait for the match you now at the weekend, or I can't wait for this match. And there's so much. But there's so much going on yeah. now with kids. There's like yeah. or or the organise the Yeah, the organise a friendly during the week. You play the friendly during the week, yeah. and you have a game on the, on the weekend. So, or you know. Especially the evenings like this, you had two matches, you'd have an even a match, and then you'd have a match on the Saturday. Yeah. And then times like that were great. The smell of the, what I missed the most, and I, I said this a, a couple of things, and, and the lads really said, Jesus, Bones, we never really thought of that, is the smell of the grass. Yeah. You know, when you walk out on that pitch, that's the grass, the, sun, the sunny evenings, you know, playing League yeah. of One games. You know, the stand's full, you know, 5,000 at Daily Mount. You come out the smell of the grass, the, the, zip of the, the zip of the ball over the wet surface and little things like that, you know, you think about yeah. over, you know, when, when you do finishing, you know. As you're, say, 
as you're saying it there, no, I can get I can get the feeling as well. You're looking at you know stepping out onto the pitch, and it, it's it's a different that, that as you said, like the sun shining, that like you know that that kind of a half bright, half darkness, and you you're you're coming out to play a game. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. The um, so when when you know, you're uh, you know, the smell of the grass, European nights and stuff, and yeah, like I suppose look, you've had vast experience, um, you know. As a player, you're looking back now. Would you have any regret, regrets, or would you do anything different? Because, like, I, I think about it all the time. But you know, do you do you ever think about it? Look, yeah. Well, I think I think if, I think if I think about it too much, I'll end up in a liffy. And um, basically, what I could have done more financially. Um, you know, basically what I could have done we're, more we're, financially. Well, every um, footballer has been in that position. Like you know, like like there's all. Yeah. You know, we we have done. You know, you wouldn't otherwise. You'd be living in, you know, living in a mansion, or you know, it 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 doesn't work out that way, unfortunately, sometimes. But like, my my thing oh. is regrets, uh, as in playing wise, I shouldn't have gone to this club, or I should have trained harder here, or I should have done more extra. Well, I. Yeah, I I, I think that Celtic. You know, I I I, I bowed out too quickly. I felt that. You know, Simon Donnelly wasn't a better player than me. He went on to win four league titles and, and uh, three Scottish Cups and League Cups. Um, because he, he stuck at it and he, he trained hard. And, and, and I just felt that if I had done maybe that myself, uh, maybe I jumped out of the LME contract. on two years left of my contract at Celtic. I jumped out too quickly. <clears throat> but, I, you know, I feel if I have to look back now, I, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. I'm mentally strong. I, I'm, I'm very mentally strong, um, I think. Yeah, a lot of people would say that about me. Um, but I just love doing what I'm doing now. You know, I'm, I've got good friends around me. Um, you know, and then the lads with the Celtic Football Club do for me now as well. And it's just great. I'm never going to give something back to the, the, the homeless in Dublin, the homeless in Cork, the homeless in Galway. And that'll be all coming through me. And I felt that that small little thing that, you know, I should have gave maybe a few years ago, I can give now. Yeah, no, that's excellent. And just even your... Like you're you're putting up a video there the other day, seeing that you're out running and stuff. So how how are you finding that that running? It's it's, it's I think it's brilliant for you. Well, I just yeah, it's look at come here. It's five k. It's thirty minutes of your day to, to get off the couch to be strong to open up your lungs. That if you do get this virus that's going around, that you're you're strong enough to fight it off you. And you know not only that, you know you're you're it's getting you out of the house. It's it's keeping you mentally strong. It's keeping you active, and the uh, Hopefully that when when all this dies down, that you you will keep that activity going and you know a healthy body, healthy mind, a healthy mind, healthy body, whatever you want to look at it. And I think that's I think that's a very um, it's it's a need, it's a must that we must have because if you if you if you're weak and and you know you you, you pick these things up, this virus is is killing so many people at the moment. But if you're not mentally strong, God knows where the mind will take you in these times. And just on the mental strength, so we we talk about that a lot. Like I, I think it's a huge part of football, um, mental strength and players. I don't know about you, but like when you're growing up and you're playing Bluebell and you're playing all all these teams, I imagine there was a, a serious talent pool of players. But obviously, you went on and you played the professional game. Like, do you think you're you were mentally strong then, and and that helped you through to get? To get there, because you know, you know yourself, like you're you're fight you're fighting for a place constantly. You know, there's you, 
every day of training you have to be your best in the squad of 20 to 30 players you know you have to perform day in day out you have to try and get to that 11 then at the weekend if you don't get in the 11 you're, you know it's it's disappointing at times it's hard to take so you've got to try and mentally fight that as well but I think you've got to mentally balance it you've got to find that balance that you don't put yourself under too much pressure that you're going to you're going to balls thing up you know sometimes put pressure on yourself you won't win but you've got to find that balance you know do your extra do your extra run every day do that extra weight session do you know don't eat that extra meal or you know nowadays you've got so many different things to help you when i didn't have them you know i went to bookies i played snooker i played golf you know, horse racing at 15, 16 years of age, I was eating fish and chips. Nowadays, these kids have the opportunity to go and fulfill their dream of becoming a professional footballer, financially securing themselves, whether they buy their own house or they buy 10 houses or 15, whatever they need to do. And if you get on that ladder to a professional football club, they've got the facilities now. And all these, you know, physios, psychological people, all this sort of stuff, mental strength, mental fitness, they have all of that. We didn't have that. If we had had that, it could be a different. Could have been a different ball game. We could have been a different player. You know, could have had sixty caps or hundred caps for Ireland. We didn't have it. Don't look back. Look forward. If I was a young lad now today, I'd be saying to myself, "This is what I want." Because look, look what we can achieve. Look what we can get. Brilliant. What about um, coaching? Then I suppose, yeah. So you finished and you're going into coaching, like just actually about coaches yourself, coaches and managers that you were uh, playing under. Like yeah. uh, good ones, bad ones. What made what made them good? What made them bad? You know. But basically, you know, just because you're a professional footballer doesn't mean you're a good coach. And, and Stephen Kenny has proven that. Um, the New Orleans manager, who I played with, with Blue as a schoolboy, and he came to Oxford with me on trial too. So, um, Stephen's proven. Um, you know, you don't have to be a good footballer to become a good coach. And anybody out there that you know thinks that because they didn't play the game, they can't become a good coach. Well, then it's ridiculous. they got to you know, get that out of their heads. And it's like everything else. How hard you work as a footballer, you've got to work as a coach. And what I did as a coach, picking things up along the way, I picked things about Liam Brady. Uh, I wouldn't do things that Ronnie Collins done, that Liam Brady done. I'd try and get the pieces of the jigsaw and put them all in together myself to make up a picture for myself on how the game should be played, how to treat players, and when to put your arm around them, when to get them a kick in the arse, when to, you know, you know, coaching is repetition. Don't move on from A to B if A is not perfected. Little things like that. Uh, short and sharp games. Touch, you know, all of those different things. I, that, that was part of my game. Touch, pass, move, free kicks, penalty kicks, striking the ball, how I strike the ball, how I bent the ball, all that sort of stuff. I walked on in the training ground. It didn't just fall on my lap. Um, so young kids nowadays, if they think they're working hard, work harder. You know, go that extra step. And if you've got any way, got um, ability, um, you have a good chance. Really good chance. And you're coaching in America. Was it a senior team or was it kids? Or Yeah, I was, I was doing it. I was looking after the semi-pro team in a town in California called Tamakla. And then I was doing a lot of coaching for local teams in the area. Um, I was doing four, four sessions a night, actually. Um, in, in California with different teams all in sort of a, a, a four or five mile radius so you didn't really have to travel that 
I was doing that five nights a week and trying to coach them. They want they want you to coach them the European way. You know, so um the European what what is the European way? Well, the European way for me was street football. And I coached them how to kick the ball with the outside of the right foot, left foot, how to control, how to pass, how to move, you know, how to play in the future. Um, but playing in the future is knowing what you're gonna do before the ball is gonna come to you. It's like when you're, a fella is running down the wing and you, it's it, it, the time and the judgment of a pass where he, it goes in front of him and he's running onto it or it goes behind him. It's little things like that, small little things in the game that you need to know. And uh, it's, like, it's like years ago, you know, when you're crossing the road, um, it's, it's all about uh, space and time football in my eyes. It's like years ago and you stood beside your dad or your ma at the side of the road. You, he grabbed you by the hand. Why? Because you can't judge space and time between the distance from that car coming from that car going to hit you. So he held your hand. So he held your hand until you learned the distance of time and space between the car and you. It's the same with a football. So, uh, you know, little things like that. And if you find space, what does space give you? Space gives you time. So good players will find space. Give good players time on the ball, they're going to become very good players. They're going to become excellent players. So little things like that have always stuck in my mind and I sort of passed down to the, the young kids and, and, uh, and some coaches in America too. I like that. I like that to be fair. And do you do you like coaching? Yeah. And are you doing? Yeah. Are you doing I, much I, coaching I, now? No, I'm involved now with the Celtic the Celtic situation, and you know I think I think we're going to be doing a couple of things out in uh, South Carolina, and maybe when all this dies down, might be the next year now. You know, but we're going to do soccer camps and stuff like that. And there's yeah. another thing that's very close to me: soccer camps. You know, the the FEI have got to look at things like that. Hopefully, with Noel Quinn now. They're going to change all of this because for you to get, say, it's five hours a day on 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 a on a on a on a camp that's going to cost a hundred euros. Uh, babysitting camps, I call them over here, really, because the kids are not really learning anything. So, how long would it take a normal club coach to coach his team, sort of, say, thirty hours? It, you know, he's training Tuesday, Thursday, so thirty hours is what? Many weeks is that? Six, seven, yeah, eight, what have, ten what weeks. Have you got a yeah, an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So, so why do we, why do we waste our time on having fun and games on camps when you've got those kids there for five hours a day when we can really educate them for that week? You know, the small little things like that that I would really feel passionate about. But as I said, it's out of my hands. It's out of my control. Um, but that's the thing I would like to see. But uh, so who's listening to Paul Buncher? <laughs> Never know, get yourself out there. And have you done any like uh, coaching badges or anything? Yeah, I've got my A badge. I'm up to my A license. I never took the pro badge because I always felt that I'd never get a job in League of Ireland. I look. I'm, I've done my A as well. There, I'm up to my A, and I, I don't. I don't think you should go into pro uh, pro license unless you're doing it full time. And you're, yeah, yeah, I'd be of the same opinion. How did you find the badges? Um, I done my. In, uh, I done mine up in the north of Ireland with a fella called Nigel Best, who was my manager at Bangor. He's the main okay. man up within the FA, the FA up there. And uh, basically, uh, you know, it's just you know, it's it's things that you've done. You, you play the game. They're putting topics on about games that you've participated in for two hundred games, so you you know exactly what you what you need to do, how to set up. But um, it's how you uh, it's how you go on and. What you want? I never use FAI to stuff out my badges, coaching kids from the FAI. Never, never do, because there's certain things on the on the courses you'd be told to stop because the coach who's taking the badge 
wouldn't agree with what how you're doing things. Probably never kicked the ball in his life himself. Yeah, it's like I and these, look. And, and, I, and these I guys suppose, are trying to judge you. Yeah, like I think there's a, there there is a bit of there's education side of it is 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 good for me. Like I understand. I know. Look, everyone's got a difference of opinion. And I, I get what you're saying, you know, like you're you're being judged by someone who might have a different opinion. It's probably the same as being a footballer, you know, you're judged by in the eleven by a manager. But I, I do see I do see I do see a value in them. I would have thought before I went in doing the badges, I, I would have been like, not nah, not for me, no way, can't be doing that. Who like yeah, exactly, like, you know, who who's gonna be giving me badges? Fellas like what? yeah, who don't don't know the game or whatever. But when I went down there and did them I had a totally different opinion coming coming out of it. I thought the education was excellent from it. You know, yeah. what you had learned, the structure around it. I mean, we obviously know the game being footballers, but there's a lot more to it and a different side than probably what's expected now as a coach as well is what you're learning down there. But I think it's geared yeah. better towards professional footballers. I think if you were someone coming off the street and you were learning everything that they have on, that you'd be probably at a disadvantage in a way because it's probably not and they don't have the time to be fair they don't have the time like that course to probably you know the b license is over three like three weeks so like it's a it's it's a week of learning you know that's that's probably that's probably not enough for someone who hasn't been involved in the game and they're get, they'll be able to hit the points because, you know, all you have is assignments and then you have to put on a coaching session that's structured mm-hmm. in a certain way. But that's across Europe and that's UEFA target. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, once you know it, then and you know how to kind of coach it because there's videos on YouTube and constantly, you know, all right, stop here now and where are you going here? And most people know the structure and formation. But I think, I think education-wise, mm-hmm. people should do it. But I, I, I do think they need to kind of get across, like, you know, you're going back into your club now. You probably you, you don't coach like this, you know, like or as you said, like a bit a bit more kind of education wise that way. Why don't Why don't you go into the clubs and coach them from kickstart one right through and give them a time bracket of in their clubs within their clubs of training all the coaches the same way instead of because you know when a coach goes to do his badges. Coach A and Coach B are doing the same badge. And Coach A and Coach B are going to come out with that with different opinions and go back to the same club and coach the kids differently. When all the kids should be learning off the singing off the, the, the one hymn sheet, one club should have a Bible. Now, I'm not saying that you should be robotic in, in what they coach, but it should be all on the, on the lines of, um, like, we, I've done a lot of work with a fellow called uh, John Cartwright, Roger Wilkinson. Um, you know, level one, level two, Premier Skills, it was called. And it's all geared around, you know, street football. And level one uh, runs into level two. Level two runs into level three. I didn't find that with the, with the, the UEFA and the FIFA. You know, it was, it was all just different topics of defending and, and formations and, and that type of stuff. You know, and then all of a sudden, then you start introducing it. This Dutch fella start introducing small stuff in the games, which is brilliant. You know, I don't believe that young kids should be playing on a, on a big pitch to under 15s. I think it should yeah, be all no. kept small. I, I, I think a lot of kids up to under 11s, under 12s shouldn't be playing competitive football. I think you should have in-house coaches coaching them against each other, bringing clubs over from England or League of Ireland clubs in at different age groups and playing them once a week, maybe twice a week, maybe three, four. It all depends. Put a structure together and, and, and get it set up 
And then I guarantee you, if, if, if a club sets up an academy in that type of way, for the first club to do that, they'll produce more footballers. They'll produce more players going to England. Like, scouts yeah. don't come to Ireland that much anymore. They don't come to Ireland anymore. Years ago, they came, you couldn't get scouts out of this country because the, the talent was here was second to none. It was all street football. That's dried up. Now you've got coaches. You've seen the true coaches coaching the kids and they're not being coached the right way. It's as simple as that. You learn more on the streets. If you give, if you give 10 kids, seven-year-olds, a football, and tell them, hit that pole and hit that pole, you'll see more from those kids in that street than you would an 11-a-side game or a 9-a-side game on a, on a schoolboy pitch. Yeah, no, definitely. Look, the street football and, and, and definitely small side of games. You, you probably would have seen the difference in yourself as a player when you were at Celtic with Liam Brady, when he did bring in the mm-hmm. small side of games. You just yeah. get so sharp from them. I never, I, I never, I never seen a pop-up goal in my life till I met Liam Brady. No, they yeah. pop-up goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was 27, 27 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just different, different managers, different things. Roddy, Roddy was a, a big motivator. He was big heart. He, you know, get you in the headlock and forced you. Liam Brady was more hands-on on the, on the training ground, you know, explaining and, you know, starting, you know, small style games and little shooting games and all different things got to do with pace. No, a lot of managers think you need a lot of endurance, but I think you need a lot of, you know, burst of injection over 5, 10, 15, 20 yards. Of course, you need to be fit. That's what your pre-season is for. It sets you up on a platform to be fit. But training sessions should be all short and sharp, dropping the shoulder, all of our small hurdles, in and out, you know, jumping on the ground, getting how quick can you get back up off the ground after a tackle, little things like that. But that all needs to be done in sections. But... When it's been done in sections, it all has to be put into how the game is played and how you want to play the game. Yeah, would that's like, my opinion. We, no, that's good, 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 good opinions. And I think, I think that's that that is the kind of trouble is that like there's so many opinions in football that like even even the FBI there know it's hard like you know to get a structure of what's right because like. They started under 13s, under 15s, under 17s, 19s with the League of Ireland clubs, probably trying to get as many decent players what together happens, with the clubs. To, right, so what happens to all the schoolboy clubs now with all these League of Ireland yeah, clubs starting that's, up? And, and where, that's, the, where are the that's kids going to go? Yeah. You're going to take, take the heart out of the, 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 the core of where we all come from, which is schoolboy football. Now it's gone. You're, 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 you're being competitive at a League of Ireland level at under 12s and 13s. It's wrong. Yeah. I th- I think they're trying to follow um maybe kind of European model. I I I I think it's the Dutch the Dutch model is it they were following, but I'm not too sure about that. But for me, I'm thinking right, you know, Germany or Holland or Italy or whatever they're following. There, you're you're talking big clubs, big money. They have money to pump into academies, facilities. I just don't think we have that here yet. No, I I see they're kind of trying to maybe feed from the bottom to the top. No, what do you- Yeah, but I just think, you know, I think you know there's more money in schoolboy football teams than there is in the League of Ireland. You know that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the fees, the, the registration fees, yeah. the, all sorts of stuff, you know? That's where the money, this is where the money has been injected. Like, a lot of people think, oh, it's great they're doing schoolboy football. Well, schoolboy football is where they're going to generate the money. Yeah. You know, the lottos. That, and, and, and good luck to them. Good luck to them. But I just think what they're doing is taking... And I can see the reason why they're trying to do it is because, I'll tell you why they're trying to do it, is because 
they want to get the best young players to play for the club, a semi-professional club, as quick as they can. That if someone does come in at 16, and then they're going to sell them, and, and the League of Ireland clubs will, will reap the money. So, you know, the home farms, the Cherry Orchards, the Blue Bells, the, the, the Cove Ramblers, whoever, all these players went away from won't, won't get any of the money. It goes straight to League of Ireland. So yeah. now the schoolboy football, the schoolboy football is dead in the water. You know, yeah, like, Blue Bell probably got, I think, I think he got 20. Then when I made me forced him appearance, they got another 20 grand. So that's for schoolboy football, that's massive. That's, that to me you then know, is thinking that net, the whole, like, the whole structure needs to be looked at. Like, if you're talking, like, the FEI has probably run, run the football in the country. Like, you look at the GA, and, I, like, you know, there's no, there's no club goes, like, you know, on needing any facilities or, you know, gear around the country. Like, they're all producing decent players at times. You know, that's same as football here. There's, there's, there's decent players being produced all the time. Like, what is there some kind of you know, something that feeds down or some kind of structure mm-hmm. from the football association that kind of comes down and says, like, right, we've take, we're, we're taking this decision. But again, like, if he comes from a schoolboy club, there's something that goes back to them or something. Or I, I, I don't know, to be honest. I, I'd, say, I'd say you'd have to get a big room of people and sit down and try mm-hmm. and hash it out. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. Like, well, because he's come from Blue Bell now to to uh, to to, to Chamak Rovers. If he sold, would Blue Bell get anything for a, for a 15 year old that signed for Rovers? Would they feel that they probably made him a better player in the three years that he was there than he was for the five years at Blue Bell? So where do you find the balance on who gets what and what gets what? Is that the is that the case now? So is it? Is it this? Yeah, well, that's, this... That's how other way are you going to do it? Unless that club breaks his contract for Blue Bell at Cherry Orchard and signs for Shamrock Rovers. If he signs for Shamrock Rovers after breaking away from Blue Bell, you know, he just, Shamrock Rovers just get the money for that kid. But why don't we put a thing in it? So, okay, that's fine. But if, if, if little Johnny signs at 11 to, from Blue Bell, he's good enough to go to Shamrock Rovers. Why? Because they see potential. So, if he does go away and you get X, Y and Z, why can't we have a few bob? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, no. like you, 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 do have to kind of do it the right way. And the, the thing is, and this is what I'm saying about like you know bringing in structures and stuff. It, it doesn't work for everyone, and you know there's always issues. And that's something kind of I'm trying to talk about coaching and talking to people like yourself. There knows that you know there's there's people kind of that have good ideas and and you know like have input into Shut it. Down. And, yeah, yeah. Shut down. They're shut down. Because yeah. they're paying people, they're paying the RDOs and all these people 30 and 40 grand with cars to go around. And I don't know. I, 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 I just don't get it. I don't get it. At least something needs to be done. Anyway, just talking about the coaching again, like I suppose now you kind of have a, this expect a coach to probably have a kind of philosophy and you know, you're, you're probably maybe overcoach like the street football you're talking about is that kind of getting out of identity of players or you know if you go to a training session now it's more kind of drill based whereas before well, it was... I'll, ask you, I'll, I'll ask you this I'll ask you a quick question a young lad 11 years of age 4 foot tall they're putting him in, into a big goal how do you know he's going to be a goalkeeper when he's 15 why isn't he out doing all the little the little grids out right foot, left foot, turn and right, turn and left, pass right, pass left, all that sort of stuff? Why, why are keepers taking to the side to do goalkeeping stuff? 
because goalkeepers need to play. A goalkeeper in today's game is like a centre half, but he yeah. can use his hands. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's there's loads of different things. But look here, I'm not going to change it. You're not going to change it. And uh, I just, I just say, let them get on with it. Well, you can, you can try make a difference. You can get coach, get out there, coach, and there now, and put and put your 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 styles and your philosophies across, and get as many badges as you can. Get into a club. You know, we we've all we've all got to do that, and we're all chasing our dream at some stage. Would you like well, to be, Would you like to profess, uh, coach professionally? If you if you were to go into something now, or would you yeah, like to to work like, with an association or something? Or yeah, I'd like, I'd like to be able to sit and, and and voice my opinion, but I'd also like to put it into practical, not just theory. Yeah. Um, and and show people. But I, I I've got a son that went. I coached my own son, Curtis. The, he played for Norwich, he played for Hibs, he made his debut against Celtic, he played for Ross County, he played for Pats and three league titles at Dundalk. And I coached him the same way on the street <coughs> where I learned. And then I've got my grandson now who's only three, so he's the next one I need to work on. <laughs> Excuse me, make sure, make sure and sign, sign him up early before uh, one of the League of Ireland clubs get him so make a few quid out of him. Don't, listen, don't you worry about it. Grand I'll have a cup. <laughs> no, thanks for that, Paul. That was excellent. No problem. And, uh, you know, if anyone anyone has any questions out there, we I've answered a good few questions there now that came in already by email and stuff, and 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 Paul was very good to answer it. And you know, look look through his uh, Celtic goals anyway because they were they, they were outstanding. <laughs> but uh, no fair play for that. And as I said, some excellent advice. And we'll 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 get the next uh, guest on. Thanks very much, everyone. And, and-